0: I mean, it's almost like somebody sat down and thought, what's the worst way we can go about doing this? Okay, yeah, let's do that. That'll be a good look. Okay, Jeff, so there has been... Quite a bit of words that have been exchanged on the internet the past few days. Words and drama, yes, that's a good way to put it. And the other other night, I actually was working on some things, and I just couldn't get it off my head. I just had to kind of vomit from the mouth uh, some words myself. So I made a little recording, and we're going to give that a listen. And then I want your your feedback, your opinions on what I said and where you stand on this this whole issue of the news about CentOS Linux 8 and CentOS Streams. Absolutely. Um, So here we go. So it's about 2 a.m. and I'm trying to finish up a recording of a Fedora install. But in the corner of my eye, there's two red books on my bookshelf that keep jumping out at me. Under the Radar by Robert Young, and The Open Organization by Jim Whitehurst. There's been a lot of drama and, well, upset these past couple days over the developments with CentOS, and I just can't get it off my mind, so I figured, why not just hit the record button and say what I want to say to Red Hat. I like Red Hat. I respect you guys. But what has happened recently, pretty disappointing. And I want to be clear about my stance before I get into this. You own CentOS. You can do whatever you want with it. Whatever you do, good or bad, you need to own that decision. You're Red Hat. The open source and Linux community look up to you to be a positive example of what open source stands for and what open source can do. One of the primary reasons that we believe that about you is because you've been open and because you've been honest. But something seems to have happened, because that doesn't appear to be what happened with this CentOS fiasco. And in case you missed what I said a few moments ago, I admit CentOS is yours, and you can do whatever you want, but be honest with us, be open with us, and don't shy away from the truth. And sadly, some of the responses that I've seen from Red Hat employees are well, let's just say I'm more than disappointed. Even though this announcement was going to upset people, and even though there were going to be a lot of complaints and a lot of hurt feelings, this was your opportunity to show that you're Red Hat and you can be trusted. And I'm sorry to say, but from where I'm sitting, you failed on that front. I can think of three main things where you had the possibility for this to go right. And in every situation, you fumbled. I mean, it's almost like somebody sat down and thought, what's the worst way we can go about doing this? Okay, yeah, let's do that. That'll be a good look. So let's talk for a second about EOL date. Now, I have heard the explanation that internally, you hadn't set for certain on when you were going to sunset CentOS Linux 8, and that it was still being internally discussed. I, I hear that said from Red Hat employees, and I'm taking you at your word. But I also realized that the official CentOS website stated 2029. But here's the thing about that. You had the opportunity to be honest and open, and you weren't. You could have come out and admitted during the announcement that the date that was put on the site was incorrect and that you hadn't decided internally. You could have admitted that the CentOS site date listing was an error. You don't need to throw the individual developer under the bus who posted it because they assumed that the EOL date would be correct. But you could have stated the person who was updating the website was not involved in the internal discussion. But aside from that, the fact remains that overworked sysadmins who are trying to keep their infrastructure alive at the company that they work for, they don't know about your internal discussions. They don't know what your internal corporate roadmap is. What they know is the date on your website. And when those admin looked at your site and saw 2029, they thought, well, this is Red Hat. Obviously I can trust them. And then you went and changed the date to 2021. And that showed everyone that maybe you can't be trusted. But see, this goes further than the website. In September of 2019, Chris Wright made the statement that old CentOS wasn't going anywhere. And that nothing would change for users of CentOS. Now, I spoke with Chris last year at Red Hat Summit in Boston. I think he's a great guy. And I look forward to the next time I get to speak with him. And I believe that Chris meant what he said when he said it. That it's not true one year later is concerning. Not concerning because decisions were changed. Let's be honest, it's business. That's going to happen. But concerning because it leads people to question if they can trust Red Hat statements. And what you have right now are tons of sysadmins thinking to themselves that they can't. Now, I don't believe for a second that this was an inter- intentional action on your part. But the fact remains that your official website and statements by executives gave credence to the idea that CentOS Linux would remain. Now, if that was to change, you had the chance to come out of the gate with an admission of the mistake, but you didn't. Instead, and what in my opinion makes this even more disgusting, is that you have Red Hat employees effectively placing blame on community members for believing that the EOL date was real. sysadmins around the world don't know what Red Hat's internal discussions are. They don't know what conversations are going on behind closed doors. What they do know, or perhaps I should say what they knew up until the other day, was that when Red Hat makes a statement they can bank on it. And it's sad that there are Red Hat employees who are making statements and appear to be trying to shift the blame Onto to community members for actually trusting you guys. I mean, seriously, how crazy is that? We're at fault for believing you? When your employees make comments along the line of, well, it's never a promise, we can change our mind at any time, so just deal with it, that's not the way to treat your users in your community. Now, to be clear, I'm, I'm paraphrasing them right now. That's not That's not a direct quote. And I'm not gonna identify any employees because I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble. I, the pub, statements are public if you really want to you could find them, but that's not the point Now is not the time when you blame the community for trusting you now is not the time for you to Punch down at the people who believed you and took you at your word Now is the time where you guys step up and own the mistake you could have come out and acknowledged that the date on the website was placed there in error. You could have acknowledged and stated that your internal roadmap was trending towards EOLing CentOS 8 in 2021. But, in light of the mistake, and in knowledge and understanding that many people have updated their infrastructure because of taking your official website at its word, that you're not going to sunset CentOS Linux 8 in 2021. You could maybe extend it and sunset it at 2024. When CentOS 7 is EOL'd. Yeah, I realize that means you're going to have to throw more engineers at CentOS 8. And I realize maybe you might even have to hire a few more. But doing that shows the community that even when it's a mistake, you guys have our backs. Because at the end of the day, the date of 2029 going on the website is on you. It was your site. You own that. We don't and forcing us and everyone else to have to quickly adapt because of a mistake you made is reprehensible. Look, we all understand how fast technology develops and how fast innovation occurs these days. And maybe having a 10-year life cycle is something that may not be possible going forward. Maybe it's more reasonable for a five-year life cycle to be standard. You could have explained that to us. You could have been honest with people, And I bet that had you been honest and open, people would have been understanding. But instead, your employees are coming at the community and users with grimy BS marketing and blame shifting. This is the kind of crap we expect from Oracle. We don't expect it from you. You're Red Hat. You're supposed to be the shiny example. You're supposed to be better. Speaking of that Jim Whitehurst book, I only had to flip a few pages in to find a statement that fit this. You must transition into thinking of people as members of a community, moving from a transactional mindset to one built on commitment. Now, let me shift gears here, touch on branding for a moment. CentOS Streams is, at the end of the day, an entirely different product than CentOS Linux. I think most everyone would agree with that. So when people point out the fact that you're taking the CentOS name and you're making it a completely different project, but keeping the same name, it defies what people think of when they think about CentOS. And look, if there's anyone that understands branding, it's you guys. Now, I'm gonna project for a second here, but when you purchased CentOS, what you purchased was the brand recognition, the trademark, and the people. Because you certainly didn't purchase the code Because you already owned the code because it was already yours to begin with. But whether or not you bought CentOS specifically to get control of the trademark to do this is not even something I'm taking issue with. But changing the product and slapping the same name on something else is... It's kind of a sleazy move. I mean, if McDonald's decided to rename the filet of fish the Big Mac and stop making the Big Mac, everyone is going to point out the obvious the thing being called a Big Mac is not actually a Big Mac. I mean, you guys know this. So it's absolutely despicable that there are Red Hat employees making comments about how people shouldn't get hung up on the name because that's not what's important. Again, paraphrased. Names and brand recognition are extraordinarily important. And as I said, in my opinion, that's one of the big reasons you bought CentOS in the first place. You wanted everything the brand stood for. It was a good move and fostering the project earned red hat a ton of goodwill and trust from the linux and open source communities but to now have red hat employees making comments that brands don't matter seriously guys what kind of clown show are you running now i realize that there's probably some people inside red hat who have basically staked their careers on this going down the way they want it to go down and it'll be a real shame if those individuals are putting their career moves above the goodwill of the company. Because you guys are burning so much goodwill right now. And it's true. You're going to make a lot of quick money as a ton of places rush to buy Red Hat licenses. I've talked with several people in the past day that mentioned that they talked to management about what to do. And the decision came down of, oh, well, just, just purchase rail licenses. So yeah, you guys are going to have a windfall there's a counter to that. One of the places I know of was prepared to hire another developer and another sysadmin, which the fact that what we're dealing with as a nation in this world with people being laid off because of the economy faltering because of Corona is pretty amazing. But then this comes along and the executives are deciding whether or not to buy REL licenses and not hire two employees or to shift their infrastructure to something else. So congratulations, Red Hat. You may make a ton of money this year. Unfortunately, it might cost people their jobs. Another person I spoke to was considering upgrading a bunch of their systems. They have, last that I was aware of when I did some work for them, about 30 CentOS installations. They were considering upgrading half to RHEL. When I spoke with them today, well, they've already talked with SUSE. Sure, some people at Red Hat have come out and stated that this is not an attempt to make money. But you've already got people questioning whether or not they can trust you because of the EOL issue. Do you really expect them to take you at your word now, when only a day or so ago you showed that we can't? You're Red Hat. You're supposed to be better. Last thing I want to touch on is what it means to be a community project. From all appearances, Red Hat seems to have really been consistently pushing that CentOS was a community project even though Red Hat owned it. Meeting minutes were in the open. People could see what was going on. It appeared to be the proper way for a company to continue to operate a community project. And I've actually used CentOS as an example of that to others for how a company can foster and support an open source project. Then this happens and people are wondering, well, where was all the discussion about this? And of course, Red Hat employees come out and admit, well, it wasn't discussed with the community. And, and Red Hat owns CentOS, so they can do whatever they want with it. Okay, fine. And then those people rightfully asked, well, can we see those minutes like the other CentOS board minutes in the past? So we can read the discussion and we can understand where Red Hat's coming from? And the response has been, no, this was an internal private Red Hat matter and, and those probably aren't going to be released. So which is it? Is this an open, transparent community project? Or is it a closed corporate project? It can be either. You can choose. You own it. You can play either card. But what you can't do is play both cards at the same time. You can't claim it's an open community project while simultaneously saying that the meetings that drive the direction of the project are closed and won't be released. Now, I have seen statements that the board minutes are supposed to be opened, and if the case, that's the case, great. However, that doesn't address the issue of why we're in this situation in the first place. Why haven't those meetings been open? If it's an open, transparent community project. This is a community project you fund and foster. Or is this a Red Hat portfolio project that you have sole control of discretion over? It's your right to choose either. But be honest about which you're choosing and publicly own that decision and that choice. You're Red Hat. You're supposed to be better. Now, I've avoided naming Red Hat employees because this is not a hit piece. I'm not going after anybody. That's not my goal. However, there is one Red Hat employee who I do want to name. Not because I want to name and shame, but because I want to name and praise. Michael McGrath, from what I saw, has been doing a fantastic job fielding questions and giving responses to people. Kudos to him. But then that leads me to the obvious question. Why was what he was telling people not part of the actual press announcement? You had the opportunity to make this announcement in a way that could have been positive. You started the entire conversation. You had control over the direction and the tone. Yes, people were bound to be upset by the decision to discontinue CentOS Linux 8. In the conversations that I've seen and heard, Red Hat employees have stated multiple times that the objections that people were raising were ones that were discussed internally. But instead of addressing those things, instead of admitting the issues, instead of showing that you care about things that you know your users are going to be worried about, instead of doing that, you decide to simply ignore them? Really? Whose bright idea was that? Whose idea was it to not address any of the issues that you apparently knew were going to be raised who decided that ignoring the issues was better than being open and honest with your users and your community your red hat you're supposed to be better so that's what i had to say jeff when i was tired and still frustrated and trying to come to terms with things and where i stood on it was that late Um, at night
1: when you recorded that
0: it was. It seemed a little it more was... measured
1: than normal, I guess. Um...
0: I think that was partly because I was tired and worn out, mm-hmm. and so there wasn't much fury to go around at that point. Mm, yeah. uh, and really, where where I had landed by that point was away from the the just the initial kind of like frustration of what the f mm-hmm. like that that had, that had gone by, and I had had time to think about it and had time to process it. Um, so then that's where I landed with, with where I was. Where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know where you are, and I don't know what your thoughts are on what my thoughts were. So let's start there, I guess.
1: Okay, well, no, I'm going to start actually on my thoughts on the core event first. Okay. And it can be summed up as I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. I okay. wondered back in like 2017, I was thinking of this, like they bought CentOS, what are they going to do with it? Because it didn't seem to me that it was just going to be goodwill. It wasn't just my, my angle at the time, or my thinking was the angle. This is what people see Red Hat as. Even though they're not paying us a dime, this is their impression of Red Hat. True or not. And we want to make sure that we're controlling our image better by making sure that the quality of CentOS is high, such that someone does not form a negative opinion of Red Hat. Plus, we Mm -hmm. can set this up as a feeder into Red Hat, and I think that's legitimately what it was for a while. Mm -hmm. Somewhere along the way, the cost of doing so must have become higher than the value they felt they were getting out of it. And I'm certain that these discussions were... This isn't just a a hasty decision that someone decided to release. I mean, right now is is an excellent time to release bad news. COVID's been going on for months. People were exhausted by bad news. They're, They're kind of tuned out. It's the holiday season. People are busy with, you know, end of the year stuff. There's not nearly as many end of the year holiday events as typical because of COVID, but there are quite a lot still.
0: Okay, but it, doesn't that possibly mean that this would be taken worse? Because people have been frustrated and upset and angered, and then this comes along like a spark. It's something they actually are very passionate about. And this is what, you know, the, the, the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back.
1: Well, I think that's that's a valid response, yeah. I, I I guess... I don't for a second believe that it wasn't calculated. The date of release? I, I don't for a second believe that this was not calculated, that this would be the time. I don't understand so, fully why, but it seems to me that it was a decision
0: done. Yeah, purpose. so I've I've had discussions since I made that recording, and some of the people that I, I know at Red Hat, and I know I'm not going to identify them, have said that the there was a rush to do this because adoption of centos linux 8 wasn't that much yet mm-hmm. and they wanted to kind of get ahead of that before a big wave came of of adoption and then of course now they're gonna have more people that are pissed off because they're giving people a year before they eol it now i hear that and i'm like okay that sounds at face value like legit however i kind of question well. If that's, if that's the, the goal, to, to get in before adoption really picks up, well, I mean, CentOS Linux 8 has been out for a while. If you haven't been seeing the adoption, or I should say, if the adoption has not been a lot in the span of time that we've had so far since its release, what makes you think that in one week that there would have been a massive change in the adoption rate? Like, from my perspective, and I know I you know, obviously, I don't know what's going on, I don't think one week delay to announce this would have made that big of a deal of more people adopting. And I think, had they taken the time to address things better, this might not have been as bad. But it seemed from the gist that I'm getting, and obviously, there's, you know, what I've been told is not perfectly clear. I have to read between the lines, obviously. It seems like there was an internal push to get this out right away as soon as possible. And I don't think that was wise. I think maybe just delaying a couple days to a week could have made the marketing and PR around this completely different.
1: All right, so it's, what I hear you saying is that if they had spent more effort to coordinate the media blitz about this release, they could have better control. And you, you alluded to this, you you you're saying your your, I don't wanna call it a rant, your discussion, very measured and My, careful discussion.
0: My soliloquy. Soliloquy.
1: Okay, I like that. That's very Shakespearean. I mean, you even suggested that uh, you had total control over the direction, direction and the tone of this release. And I agree with that. The fact that you had, we acknowledge that Red Hat had total control over the direction of the tone, and it ended up like this. To me, that suggests either a completely total misunderstanding of what's required to communicate with the community, or, and this is not an exclusive or, there's probably other options too, mm-hmm. benign neglect, which I think is more likely. They didn't think it mattered that much. Or if it did matter that much, they didn't care. There is a, a thread that runs through for-profit corporations where if this doesn't bring us revenue, who cares about the impact? Goodwill mm-hmm. is a value add to something else. Goodwill is difficult to characterize, difficult to put a dollar figure to which is why you'll often see corporations taking massive write-downs on goodwill. They'll, they'll term it as goodwill because that's a, the polite term for shareholders to stop asking questions. Like, hey, this is goodwill. We thought it would pay off. It would be good for us if we mm-hmm. uh, sponsored Coleman Race for the Cure to the tune of $2 million. It turns out that that's a bogus organization who only gives 10% to the actual cost. Okay, that was a mm-hmm. bad move. We're going to write down this investment. This doesn't produce the goodwill we expected. That's a typical corporate move. Mm-hmm. IBM has shareholders. A lot of shareholders, They're blue chip stock, they've, mm-hmm. they've been for a long time, you know, dividends and, and support of many people's portfolios, and there are expectations that come with that. Anything that mm-hmm. does not help their bottom line, they don't seem to care as much about.
0: Okay, so now this is an interesting point, because when IBM initially bought Red Hat, there were there were threads on different sites on reddit on news sites of okay what does this mean for centos like people were saying it back then mm-hmm. so i have what i have been told and again i'm hearing this third party i believe the people that are telling me this right. i cannot say for certain that it is true maybe they don't even know but from everything i have heard ibm was not involved in this and this did not come down from on high. Okay. Now, that being said, let, okay, let's, let's, let's look at that. Let's take that from two perspectives. Let's say that's absolutely true. It is possible that maybe people in Red Hat knew the pressures that would be coming from IBM and they kind of knew how they needed to position things, so they decided to be proactive. That's possible. It's also possible that IBM did say something and just the people that I have talked to in the positions that they have been in they weren't privy to that discussion that's uh, that's also possible
1: i think that's very likely actually
0: frankly i i tend to kind of give red hat the benefit of the doubt here because they aren't just the typical corporation correct yeah and mm-hmm. they have well understood the value of goodwill with the community mm-hmm. i mean that's why they are where they are and that's why they are considered by many to be you know the pinnacle of linux and open source this is why people were so ecstatic at how much red hat was valued at so i want to believe that but the cynical part of me is
1: rising up in this and i don't mm-hmm. i don't like it but it's there this ever present thought and the thought is this is what big corporations do if this this decision reeks of ibm whether or not IBM upper management was a part of the decision to do this. I'm thinking of it like um, the United States has several territories that are not officially states, but they are territories. They have non-voting rights, I mean, basically useless um, representatives to the, the House of Representatives, like Puerto Rico, for instance. Right. There are expectations that come with being a United States territory, and I would expect that Puerto Rico would do... Many things in its power to say, well, these are the expectations of our, uh, you know, of our overlords. We better do what they think. IBM has expectations of how software is done and how software is run. So I, I can see a situation whereby Red Hat leadership, and I have I have no visibility into any of this. I do not have the hooks into Red Hat that you do. I don't have the contacts. I just this is just me being on the outside looking in. I mm-hmm. can see very easily someone Red Hat saying. If we don't start cutting down our costs somehow, we're not going to be able to make the numbers that IBM expects. And one of our biggest mm-hmm. costs is maintaining the community of Send to us. How can we convert CentOS, which is a massive multi-million dollar, a you know, couple tens of million dollars of, of money drain, convert that instead into either a, a money generator or a, a benign stamp on our balance sheet? Mm-hmm. Because this is what's expected. Um, this is this okay. expected of any corporation
0: yeah that their divisions are going to be healthy one of one of the statements that i have seen one of the vps make publicly was that this was again i'm i'm taking this is what i've seen being said is that this was absolutely not a money move and that red hat is prepared to give away at massive discounts and potentially free Rel licenses for organizations that are caught in the crosshairs over this. Hmm. It's been suggested for instance example, the HPC folks. Right. Um, There's a lot they're of They're not yeah. a high dollar. That's not a high dollar market for Red Hat. And that's an organization that uh, those organizations definitely benefited and utilized centos. I mean, scientific linux. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. The Fermilab, yeah, 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 all yeah. of those were based and built on on RHEL because of the stability mm-hmm. and everything that comes along with RHEL. Right. So, you know, I've, I've I've seen it suggested that you know what Red Hat may do something for them just to say, like, hey, look, we, we're not trying to screw you over. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, Red Hat knows everything's open source. Anybody can take it and right. build yeah, yeah. another exactly. one.
1: Exactly. They they know this to their core. That's that's part of the agreement mm-hmm. that they signed up. They built their model around this, knowing yeah. that CentOS and other distributions were there. And that the second they do something that no one likes or, or, or even one person doesn't like, That person can buy a single license to Red Hat to get copied at the source and then make their own copy. Mm -hmm. And they know that going in. This is part of the cost of doing
0: business. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't know if it makes sense for them to try to do this as a money move. The other thing, speaking towards IBM, is yes, IBM owns Red Hat. But let's also keep in mind that Jim Whitehurst, who was the CEO of Red Hat, is now the president of IBM. Mm -hmm. So the transfer of leadership... Yes, there have been people from IBM that have come over to Red Hat. Um, Stephanie Cheris is one of them that I can think of, but she came over before before the merger ever started, from what I understand. So the, like, there has been exchange. Sounds but like a pizza to me. <laughs> when 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 you have the CEO of Red Hat becoming the president of IBM, mm-hmm. like that's that's a positive move for Red Hat and for IBM. If it was the other way around, where somebody from IBM became the CEO of Red Hat, then I would go, okay, yeah, there's, there's some bad influence there. That would
1: be a mercenary acquisition at that point.
0: Right. The, the influence seems to be going in the other direction. And maybe I'm just being, uh, really hopeful in this, but I think one of the benefits that IBM saw in Red Hat was their approach to business. Hmm, Okay. Uh, Because again, everything Red Hat, their entire portfolio is is open Mm -hmm. IBM could have cloned everything and just done whatever they wanted with it and paid nothing. They, right. So they didn't buy software. They bought the culture. What they bought was the culture and the people. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make sense to invest a bajillion dollars into a company for its culture to then attack the culture. Exactly. Unless IBM is pulling an Oracle because, because, you know, because oracle i
1: had that thought too i did consider that for a while i don't i don't see it but again oracle if that was the case so firmly up ass they can't even see anything all, all they're smelling is yeah whatever i'm not gonna go to that
0: deep and here. the thing is is it, had ibm been that sinister i don't think they would have made whitehurst the president no. so like
1: i, I long yeah. felt like ibm recognized long ago that they're services and their selling of expensive hardware was not going to last forever. That commodity hardware and commodity operating systems, specifically Linux was the future cloud was the future. They were behind. They acquired Red Hat for multiple reasons. Among them are uh, leadership. We know we need to change, but our culture is so ingrained in the IBM way that we can't change effectively. Mm -hmm. We need some kind of outside influence some kind of outside change to help us we cannot make the transition to the company that we know we need to be to survive in the future if we do not have some kind of additional outside influence and it couldn't have been cultivated in the ibm uh incubator for lack of a better way to put it right it had to have generated organically from somewhere outside and red hat was the prime juiciest prize for trial by fire in the open source Linux community with leadership model and community support. I mean, like you're Mm -hmm. rightfully saying, we have lauded Red Hat for years for doing the right thing. You alluded to it in your discussion, in your solidically, you're better than this. And for decades, decades, literally decades, I I relied upon Red Hat for doing the right thing. And sometimes I was mystified that they would do the right thing because this does not seem like in the interest of a publicly traded shareholder company. That they would do this. They were one uh-huh. of the few publicly traded companies that was of large size, like billion or more, that actually took a long-term view of things, saying, we're not just right. here to give short-term gains for our shareholders. We're here to chart the course that's going to last us for a long time. I admire uh-huh. the publicly traded company that is willing and able to do that. And they seem to be few and far between. And it seemed to me that IBM needed that. I won't say they needed that to survive, although you could easily make the case for that, but they needed that to thrive. IBM can survive under any number of difficult conditions because they're IBM. What they've survived on for the last seven or 10 years or however long you want to say, they've had losses, I won't say every quarter, but most quarters they've had losses, severe losses. And what they have done is they've just cut some of their software products. They've cut some of their developers. They just keep trimming. They have so many... They have like a 10,000 software products. They just keep trimming over and over and over again. And that's how they balance the balance sheet for the last seven to 10 years. That can't Mm -hmm. continue. At some point, you're going to run out of products to trim. And they maybe have been approaching a point at which they said, we cannot keep doing this. We've got to take a different direction. How do we do that? And that's where Red Hat enters the picture. And I think it was a good marriage. Honestly, I think it was a good move for them.
0: Yeah, and let's also keep in mind that like, they could have acquired SUSE. They could have, yes. Because SUSE has been handed around and bought and sold so many times. Right, yeah. Like, they could have picked up SUSE for a fraction of the price if they just wanted to get into the enterprise Linux space. Right. They could have potentially approached Canonical and said, hey, we want to buy you. Now, I don't know if Mark Shuttleworth would have actually sold it. I but
1: think it would have been like, if, you know, we'll do a partnership. And I think IBM wanted a partnership. They wanted ownership. They wanted... A, right. They, that's, that's the IBM way, is to own the thing you're going to do. As far as so I am mean, So, there
0: were... There were other options that IBM had available to it if it wanted to get into the Linux space. Right. Or, again, they could just do their own thing because it's open source. Right, yeah, exactly. But instead, no, they wanted to acquire Red Hat and everything Red Hat was. They wanted the culture.
1: I, I don't so, see... that. That's, this seems to be the prime driver behind them spending however many billions it was to acquire Red Hat because it wasn't cheap. No. You know, you could have gone to acquire SUSE for much less, I think. Or heck, you could have gone and sponsored. Pick any smallish distribution that has roughly the right community that you want. You know, um, Project Trident picked Void to move to, right? So it could have, it could have been whatever was well, suitable.
0: Okay, Ken picked Void. Ken picked Void. Okay,
1: <laughs> okay. Well, however you want to characterize it, find a, a related project or a distribution that suits your needs, that has uh, enough support and roughly goes in the direction you would like to go. Support mm-hmm. that instead. They didn't do that they chose to buy Red Hat instead. There's some value that Red Hat has that other distributions don't. There's some cachet. There's some, this is IBM, we only have the best. You know, this is the company that ships products where they have, they'll ship your mainframe uh, device and it has, you know, 96 cores built into it, but you're only leasing eight. So they turn on eight. And when you need more, you call them up and they say, oh, that'll be $400,000, please. Here you go, pay the bill. All right, we'll turn another 16 cores for you here you go. They already had the hardware ready waiting, just sitting there in your device this is this is the device the, the company that that builds the hardware ahead of time for you and waits for you to recognize that you need them they they have all of this set up ahead of time. they needed red hat they needed red hat mm-hmm. specifically they needed they needed the prestige of Red Hat because it's IBM I think
0: and yeah, but again, that leads me to think that that's not that the motivation behind all this wasn't IBM doing it. Yeah. So, and I mean, yeah. to get back to the reason we're here mm-hmm. t- tonight having this discussion is because of everything that was done with CentOS. Yeah. And yeah. you actually haven't really gotten around to your thoughts on that. No, I so. haven't.
1: I-, I keep getting distracted by it. So, I- I'll say this um, I i remember meeting uh, a gentleman that was uh, high up in CentOS at uh, Texas Fest back in 2017. I remember. It kind of a fatalistic approach to being acquired by IBM. I think this is not long. Not You mean by not, Red Hat? By Red Hat, yeah. Uh, this is not long after Red Hat decided to bring in CentOS out of the cold. That was how he characterized it. And I remember being struck by he didn't know how long it was going to last, uh, but while the getting was good, he was going to get. And mm-hmm. it was nice that his efforts and and the team's efforts had had been recognized as valuable enough that Red Hat was going to financially support them. But he also had no illusions that sometimes Red Hat was going to say, jump. And the expectation was that us would say, how high? And that's just the way it was. So he was, he was happy to be getting paid, finally paid well, to do what he wanted to do that he loved. That, that's, mm-hmm. Hopefully that's all of our goals, right? Just to do what we love and to get paid well for it. And he had no illusions about it. And so I had no illusions. Also, hearing him talk about this, that, that, that the, uh, the gauntlet could be thrown down at any time and the dream could be over you know think of it as is a very large game of musical chairs and red hat is in control of the music at some point red hat's going to stop the music and you better have your chair already picked out can settle into well red hat on tuesday or wednesday whatever it was stopped the music who's got chairs quite a lot of companies don't have chairs because they kind of expected that said would be the way it is forever and i, I honestly i am not I'm a huge anti-fan of them changing the EOL date. That's whether or not CentOS or Red Hat officially agreed to this as being the end of life date. The end of life date for Red Hat 8 was, is 2029, whatever it is. It is reasonable for any user of CentOS to assume since it tracks Red Hat specifically, trying to be uh, binary compatible with Red Hat. Bug compatible, I believe is how it's been described that if Red Hat is end of life 2029, then CentOS Linux is end of life 2029. This is CentOS Linux 8. That is a reasonable assumption. And I don't think it's fair at all for Red Hat to say, well, we never announced that. We were busy discussing that. No, you could have gotten out in front of that. You could have changed that message. You could have said very early on, well, we haven't actually decided if we're going to support CentOS Linux all the way through 2029 or if we're going to do something else with it. They could have easily said that. I, I am in 100% agreement with you on on the messaging. They could have done something different. They should have done something better. And I am forced to acknowledge that because they did not do better. I, I think I alluded to this earlier. Either it's um, they didn't care at all, like benign neglect, or they didn't think the impact was going to be that high. Either way, points to questionable understanding of the situation.
0: Yeah, so I dug through to try to find uh, as many of, or what I could find of the CentOS eight annou- CentOS Linux 8 announcements. Right. Um, because we do need to make a distinction now that right. when we say CentOS, we mean CentOS Linux. Yes, we um, do. Yes. So I dug through. I could not find any posting that had an EOL date listed. Oh, but but however, it also didn't say EOL TBD like they could have said to be determined. And I think they didn't because they were hoping to kick that can down the road a little more. Right. Because had they put that people would have immediately gone. Hold up. Why is this not set in stone? So So they just they just kind of avoided the issue. Didn't mention it. And from what I can tell, looking through the Git repo for the CentOS website, it was not listed anywhere up until I the, think the first mention I found of it was about like six or seven months ago. And um, that's, during that's seven during months a site after the release, right? During the site, yeah, during the site revamp, they did a, redid a whole bunch of pages, hmm. and in that page, the guy who made the, who did the work, he added it in, and he probably added it in because well, you know, everybody expects that's a reasonable assumption. To, it, it it's a reasonable <laughs> assumption, and again, I, even if it was a mistake. The fact is it was still on the official site. Mm-hmm. And I don't if anybody's going to own that mistake, I think it should be on Red Hat, not on the people who decided to take Red Hat. I afterward. agree
1: word, I agree one hundred percent. and and i like i and yeah. I'm
0: not saying that Red Hat should keep to 10 years because, again, and I think I mentioned this in my in my, you know, soliloquy. yes, that <laughs> um, I think i I think I mentioned in there that, like, uh, 10 years is a long time it to is. support software nowadays. Like, it really is. I've always been very and,
1: impressed by that, that they stuck to it. Yeah. Like, it, it could mean, so like, CentOS 6 still has PHP 5.3, because at the time they released it, no, oh, 5.2, excuse me, at the time they released CentOS 6, or, or Red Hat 6, that's what the PHP was. I think was 6
0: actually EOL'd, like, a few months ago. Yeah. I might yeah. be wrong on that, but I think it was recent. But yeah. my, my point anyway, is... Yeah, yeah, yeah susa does i think five years mm-hmm. canonical does five years five years is 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 reasonable that's a, it's expected that's, that's still an eon and
1: so it's fast right as that's move. still a lot
0: so had they come out and said look yep sorry we screwed up it we we didn't put a date a date got put on it everybody assumed 10 that's what we normally do we're gonna go with five mm-hmm. i'd be like okay again and I, I think i i think i mentioned this you know you accept that, okay, yeah, our fault, our bad, but we've got your back. We're not going to screw you over. Mm-hmm.
1: They had the opportunity to be better.
0: To right. be well, they had the opportunity messaging. to be open from the beginning, saying this is why the date's changing, instead of just avoiding yeah. it and just saying this is the date that it's going to be.
1: Well, I kind of expect to uh, come Monday or Tuesday that we we're going to hear that. We're going to hear, oh, well, we forgot. We didn't finish our announcement. There actually was more to the announcement. And the announcement was, well, we're not going to support 10 years. Um, I, I actually kind of believe also that the, uh, the end of life 2021 will get pushed back uh, another couple of years, probably 2023, three to four years, something like that. Enough that, uh, well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I was just thinking.
0: I wouldn't actually be surprised if up in the corporate. Decision ladder they go. Okay, so all the people who are really pissed off about this and have converted if They contact us we will give them a you know a special REL license for two years mm-hmm. for that machine and then at the end of that two years They can you know it's up to them. Mm-hmm. They don't it ends. They can continue they can do whatever mm-hmm. Because at that point it's really easy to convert a CentOS box to a REL box. Yes So that point, they're basically telling people, look, technically, we are ending CentOS Linux 8. It is going to go away at the end of 2021. But for a year or two beyond that, at no cost, we're going to let you have RHEL, full RHEL, actual RHEL, for this term Mm -hmm. because of the the imposition or the buying that you're in or, or, or whatever. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they come out with instead of saying, "Okay, yeah, we'll push the date back.
1: Yes, but that's not because, legitimate. Because though. that,
0: well, because what that would do is it effectively accomplishes the same goal. It gives people more time to make a decision, to update, to change their direction, to, to whatever. I agree, and it's
1: but, but it's not the same thing.
0: It's them, right? It's not, but it, at that point, if if the marketing team you know wakes up, that's now them being proactive and doing something positive for other people at their expense, effectively. Mm -hmm. Because now they're giving away the product you actually have to pay for. Right,
1: But I think that's what's necessary for them to get out of this while saving some face. But it's not Libre. It's not, at this point, okay, it's it's in that weird world where technically it is Libre if you pay for at least one license. All I need to do, technically, to buy Mm -hmm. Red Hat software is license at one time. And because the copy left licensing, I have full copies of the code of all their key stuff. So at that point, mm-hmm. having one license, I could then put the effort in to make my own copy. And that's exactly what CentOS was, Rocky Linux and the other ones, the new forks and the existing forks that are coming back out of the woodwork. They're all the exact same thing. Someone somewhere has paid for a license for Red Hat to get all the code and mm-hmm. then they rebuild it. There's, it's explicitly allowed in the coding of the copyright. Right. So... I, that to me is important to a, mm-hmm. a company who just wants something stable. Maybe it's not as important. And, and even, I know lots of companies are. It's it's important for them that they are paying the license to somebody like we, this isn't free. It's not, things are never free, especially good things are never free. So why is so it we've got this free product that we're putting our entire company on like Linux? There's gotta be some reason why it's free and that's bogus. And who do we need to pay to make sure that we're, we're covered? Now, that's that's a very common approach from a lot of companies, mm-hmm. and so there will be a lot of conversions from CentOS to, to Red Hat because the lawyers say this is a risk. We need to take care of this risk. A, a license for Red Hat is six hundred dollars a year. We have twenty systems. This is easy. Just pay, you know, the twelve thousand dollars a year. Just just to take care of it. Just do it. You know, twelve thousand dollars a year is a pittance to make sure we're covered. And look what all we get from it. You know, you pay for the license, you get access to. Uh, whatever the modern equivalent of satellite is, and and if you're doing all the Ansible scripting, um, you can upgrade your license to also include uh, you know the Red Hat um, Galaxy equivalent, whatever it is, the, the curated roles and the curated playbooks and all those things. All this really awesome stuff, they're just one step away from the cost of licensing a simple system. There's a lot of value to doing it. And so there's gonna be a lot of corporations which decide, hey, we were doing CentOS because one of our sysadmins decided this is the right way to go. Now we have a risk. Let's take care of the risk by just paying for the license or asking for a license for a year or two years. I would wager, I have absolutely no data to back this up, but uh, of a hundred companies which are currently using CentOS, 40 would be willing to move to Red Hat and pay licensing. 60 did it because it was expedient and someone decided it was, it was easier for them to do CentOS than something else. And they don't want to pay the cost and they'll move off to something else. They'll move to Rocky, mm-hmm. Linux, they'll move to Ubuntu, they'll move to SUSE, whatever. They'll move to another distribution. And hopefully that those companies that have invested in CentOS have also equally invested in automation such that they can just edit their automation and deploy their systems to a different distribution with different paradigms. One mm-hmm. hopes. But if you're a company who is behind on DevOps or behind on automation and you don't have much choice, it may may be cheaper for you to just go ahead and pay the licensing for Hat than it would be to try to bring someone on to try and fix all your automation that doesn't exist. Yeah, one
0: of the the, um, downstream casualties of this uh, that I worry about is, you know, what's going to happen to all the consultants who over the past year or two convinced companies to migrate to centos linux 8 yeah because they're consultants and now that advice that they gave which was perfectly valid advice and there's no reason that they would believe that something like this would happen all those companies that they worked for are now not going to be looking very highly on those consultants i agree who did nothing wrong
1: i was one of those a couple years ago And Mm -hmm. speaking for that position, uh, by presenting CentOS as the always free alternative Red Hat, I'm taking a risk as a consultant. I am staking my claim that Red Hat will be benign and CentOS will always be free or cheap or whatever. Free, Mm -hmm. one one hope's free, because it's a solution that we don't have to think about. It's free. As a consultant, I have to be aware of the risk of doing that. Mm -hmm. Let me ask this. What are the odds, do you think, of Canonical deciding Ubuntu is no longer free. Between CentOS and Ubuntu, which of the two do you think was more likely? Go back two years. Which of the two is more likely to be going non free? I don't I don't think either
0: one. Because really? uh, yeah, because canonical Shuttleworth's goal has always been you just pay for support. And that's why he bankrolled Canonical for I don't even know how many years, probably over. <laughs> many years, yeah. A like many, many time. years. He he picked up whatever they didn't make. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a couple years ago, I think they actually started to finally break break even and and make a profit. Um, he was picking up the tab. I mean, he's got the money too, so good for him. It was a labor uh, of I'm love. Glad, for him. Yeah. I'm glad he he did it and yes. kept and kept Canonical mm-hmm. going. But like the reason this came up specifically is you and I actually discussed uh, a company that we're both aware of who is using uh, Ubuntu mm-hmm. for their infrastructure and. I mean, they're deploying, well, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of Ubuntu systems, would you say? Yes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and we like have discussed, a, as you know...
1: appliances, even.
0: Yeah, we had discussed, you know, if they migrated to CentOS, because CentOS is stable, we can rely on Red Hat you know, across the that fleet, you know, that can be a proof of concept. And then if we take what's being built, and we can work, you know, because there was the discussion of, you know, well, maybe they're going to go towards containers well, we can use the Red Hat UBI, which is still free uh, for now. Let's put that in, in yes, air quotes yes, right yes, there. Yes, for now. Yes. You know, th- then they can deploy with that. And like there was this beautiful roadmap that we could have laid out. And I, at the t- looking back now, even a week ago, had someone asked me, do you think that's still a good plan for a company in that position? I would have said, yes, Absolutely. This is what you, this is the, the direction you should go. Now, hypothetically, late last year, we had sat down with these, these people and convinced them to do this. What kind of conversations do you think would have been happening to us this week? I think there would have been
1: uh, tersely worded emails at the very least, more likely very angry calls, like uh, with some swear words involved, like, what did you do to us? What the hell is wrong with you? Escalate from there. Uh, I'm trying to keep this somewhat, you know, family mm-hmm. friendly. uh there would have been. I don't think they would have retained our services anymore, having yep. banked upon CentoS. They would have been like, "You screwed us. You yep. told us to do this thing, and we banked on it, and now we are toast." You know, we've got 700 or whatever appliances in the field, all running CentoS. And I'm trying to think of 700 times 600 is a very large number, whatever that number, 42. Actually,
0: I think it's I think it's 800 000. for our license. Okay. Oh, 800.
1: So. oh it's even worse. 56, $560,000 you've just cost us. And that's, that's yeah. not actually what it would be because we we're talking about, you know, two years of grace or whatever. There's lots of ways to tweak the system.
0: But, oh yeah, even if they got the grace, mm-hmm. they would have to then decide either we're going to keep paying this every single year mm-hmm. or we're going to have to transition and we just spent a year or two transitioning our whole infrastructure away from ubuntu Mm -hmm. to centos uh well i guess we're going
1: back to ubuntu well let's say this um because you and i would be at the helm the way the transition would be handled would be somewhat agnostic to the system i I, the way i try to approach this i try to write my automation and my my whatever i'm doing to be somewhat agnostic to the distribution recognizing that things change you know i've always had in the back of my head CentOS is now owned by Red Hat. Any moment, they may revoke their goodwill. And that's, I have no way to prove this, but I, I have long-favored distributions where I, I felt like there is no way on God's green earth that this is going to be changed from its format now. You know, I, I felt like I can take the fact that Xenial is going to be supported for five years. I could take that to the bank. I did not feel the same way about CentOS. I felt like at any moment, especially Before IBM bought Red Hat, I felt this way. When IBM bought Red Hat, in the back of my head, now I have this little thought that says, IBM may lean in and say, or whisper in somebody's ear, this is costing us too much money, get rid of it. And I just was always in the back of my head. So when IBM bought Red Hat, I celebrated it. I was happy for Red Hat. I mean, I was happy for the shareholders. I was happy for, they're legit. They're so legit that, one of the oldest and most renowned computing companies in the world wanted to buy them. That says to me, you win. A plus Red Hat, you did a great job. That IBM bought you. Fantastic job. But that also planted the seed of doubt in me, like, when is this gravy train going to end? And from then on, I would have mentioned to anyone who asked, CentOS to us, may not be free forever. I right about that point that they were bought is when I stepped out of the consulting contracting world and back into a full-time position again. So it didn't end up mattering, right? But if I had continued, I would have said, well, there's a caveat now I needed to be prepared for this. And just the way I naturally operate, I try and write my automation. I try and write my DevOps such that it is benign to the distribution where possible. Obviously, there's going to be some very distribution specific things and you, you write automation to to be very tailored to the distribution you develop it on and then you broaden it into other distributions later that's almost always how the pattern goes so we would have written right but there's for, also
0: when you're building appliances there's a lot that's very distribution specific is, that yes, you yes, can't yes. really do in a generic way like mm-hmm. how exactly are you going to build and spin up the iso well how you do that on ubuntu is going to be completely different than how you would do it mm-hmm. on a Red Hat based system. Exactly. Like yeah. the build systems between Fedora and Ubuntu are not going to be similar. They're so a there's a lo- yeah. there's a lot of work there that would have to be redone. Right, right. With, you with know, reason, saying.
1: but you know, yeah. like so the the uh, post installation pro- products maintenance of a Red Hat system, a CentOS system, an Ubuntu system, and a Debian system are reasonably close enough that you can write automation that supports all four of those. And again, you know, Ubuntu. So I don't want to say clone, but downstream from uh, Debian and CentOS is downstream from Red Hat. So you get two families you're supporting. And in fact, I do a lot of my automation in Ansible and Ansible bundles things into distribution families. So you can do, like when you're doing inventory, you can can choose on Red Hat family distributions or Debian Mm -hmm. family distributions. And from that, make a decision. Uh, You know, choosing different packages or whatever. I would support all of those roughly equivalently. I could use roughly the same automation with each one and have an expectation, reasonable expectation of success. Just making sure Mm -hmm. that my packages were controlled and the minor differences between like you install Apache on Red Hat, it doesn't come with the sites available and sites enabled directly, directories. But you install it on Ubuntu, it does. So Mm -hmm. probably what you would do is if you're writing automation to do both, you would have uh, install Apache and then on Red Hat, add these two directories and modify the default apache config to include stuff from sites enabled right now you're back up and in synchronicity or whatever the right word would be with ubuntu and at that point my automation proceeds like normal so that's that's how i would write it that's how i would do it and writing as as a contractor or a consultant for another company that's what i would advise them to do whether they were willing to do so or not is completely within their wheelhouse. but that's what i would advise them to do Mm -hmm. so Up until IBM bought Red Hat, I would be comfortable suggesting all these things to them. But when IBM buys Red Hat, I stopped to listen for a couple of weeks or months to try and catch which way the wind was blowing. Was IBM going to let Red Hat do its thing? And the conclusion I drew actually was that IBM bought Red Hat not only because they needed to change, but because they wanted talent and they wanted the culture. And they needed the culture to come and save IBM corporate because IBM corporate's culture, I don't want to say it's poisoned, but it was flawed, Mm -hmm. has been flawed, is not suitable to survive in the modern world. And I think we could see that by looking at the last 10 years of balance sheets of IBM. They can't keep up. They're too big. They've got too many softwares, too many commitments. They build products that are bespoke for large companies in large situations, and they don't translate well. Sometimes, but you know what? What can you do when there's when American Airlines goes and asks, "We need some kind of system to upgrade our ticketing system across our entire fleet." You know, it needs to be able to support twenty thousand users at a time and have updates that propagate within five seconds. Who's going to be able to do that? Yeah, IBM and well, that's a very short list because uh, as far as I know, IBM is the only one on the list. So they go talk to IBM and say, how would, did we do this and what is it going to cost us? And IBM says, well, let's put together a committee and figure out how it's gonna how it's gonna go. Mm-hmm. And then we'll figure out from there what the cost is gonna be. But you just know in the back of your head it's gonna be multiple tens of millions of dollars. That's just what's gonna yeah, cost. Yeah, having
0: having played around with uh, older IBM mainframes, it is absolutely amazing the engineering. That went into those, and I'm mm-hmm. not even just talking about yeah. like the silicon. I mean the actual way that the 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 books would actually slide in and lock into the overall chassis, mm-hmm. and the the billet aluminum CNC machine yes. parts mm-hmm. inside. It's like these things were almost art. Mm-hmm. The way that they were built, and
1: they were doing systems. Uh, so when I joined uh, an oil consulting firm in 2005, they had an IBM system. It was a two two processor systems that you were doing simulations on. And right from the get-go, the system was built that it had two main partitions. You'd be running on one, and then it had another, I don't want to say a different disk, but a different partition, A and B. So you'd be running on A, you'd apply updates to B, and then you would reboot into B. And if it didn't work, you would fall back to A. This was built into the system right from the beginning. This is a really good paradigm. I've tried to copy it when I'm deploying systems of my own. It's non-trivial to do. They had it. They had it working. They had it laced through their programs and their updates and their binaries. Everything understood that they were possibly talking to A or possibly talking to B. Everything they did, it was brilliant. It was just like, it was so elegant and simple and straightforward and perfect. It was, I don't want to say it's foolproof, but you would have to be a very large fool to mess this up. Mm -hmm. You have, if you have a system that's screwed up, well, you've got another system that you haven't messed with yet that's still okay. And, that's, in my opinion, a great way to do it. IBM was doing this just as, as built in. It was just, you know, they had already done the work.
0: They already did yeah, the and really they today. were doing it long before everyone else was doing it. Yeah,
1: so all the people that think VMs are a product of the early 2000s, no. IBM was doing virtual machines in the 70s. No one else was doing it. IBM was doing all of these things that we're doing now, commonly, we're doing it five decades ago. They have brilliant engineering. And it's really unfortunate to they. They were not able to keep up in the modern world where the engineering, the the high quality, high cost engineering weighs more than the flexibility of being able to move quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I, I lament that we, are, we were not able to uh, enjoy the quality of IBM engineering longer, frankly. But this is the, the, the modern world that we find ourselves in. This is the way it is. IBM saw it. They said, we can't keep doing things the way we've been doing. We love doing engineering this way. But sometimes it costs us. You know, the whole PC revolution came about because IBM spent too long trying to make the best uh, personal computer possible. Mm-hmm. And they cut corners because they recognized they were already behind. Compaq was eating their lunch on personal computers and, and yeah. other products came out. So they decided to settle on, let's use lots of open standards that are already done and we'll just keep the, the proprietary stuff in the middle of the BIOS. That's proprietary and we can control everything else from there. This decision, this one decision led to the PC revolution, and they did that because they were behind, and -hmm. they wanted to maintain their level of engineering while still being able to control everything. And we can thank a lot of the the products of today because of that one decision from IBM, honestly. Uh, There's so many things you can point to like that all throughout IBM's history. And they have such good engineering, but they're Mm -hmm. such a big company, and they're so expensive. And as a private user of Linux, and as a, you know, small business owner and a consultant and and small, 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 I never once entertained the idea that I'd ever be able to do anything, even remotely touching IBM. It was always going to be too expensive. It just wasn't Mm -hmm. my wheelhouse. It was always going to be Linux, free and open source side, because you can build really powerful tools, on Linux. You do not need forty thousand dollars of IBM engineering to deploy a good situation you can do so on Linux. It's one of the most powerful things about Linux, and frankly, you can, you can replace IBM's $40,000 of engineering with $0,000, 000 of Linux without right. too much trouble. IBM saw this. They knew that they could not possibly compete with that, and they said, we have to change. We need to acquire some of the best Linux mines in the, company, in the business. Where are the best Linux, Linux mines? Red Hat. Okay, let's go get that. It may just have been that simple, but I think that was a good move. It was good synergy for Red Hat, and it was good move for IBM. And I just can't help but think that at that moment in time, they sealed Red Hat's fate and CentOS's to fate too. But that that's it's easy for me to go back and look. at That was so what three years ago that they acquired Red Hat. It's easy for me to go back and point and say, "Hey, look." See? No, it
0: was it was last year. It was, it was, last was finalized. Okay. yeah, because at Red Hat Summit in uh, I think it was May last year, uh, Noah and I were up in Boston um, doing interviews with a bunch of the execs, and. It still wasn't settled there because th- there were some things that I was yeah. like, "Okay, we'd love to ask you about this," and they're like, "Hmm, so we can't actually comment on that because approval is still going through in Europe." So uh, ask us again later. <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: that's fair. Yeah.
0: So maybe, yeah. um,
1: maybe I first started hearing rumblings about it three years ago. It seems a little bit premature. Of uh, some, maybe two years ago. Um, and also the IBM acquired SoftLayer a couple of years before they acquired Red Hat. Mine, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing that as IBM recognized they were losing in the whole cloud race, and they needed to get
0: ahead again, or at
1: least catch up. And
0: they're... that's because IBM doesn't build clouds; they build battleships. Yes, they do. <laughs>
1: they do. And each battleship can stand on its own and can punch way above its weight class. When he, when it, if it were having to compete against another, compete against another battleship, it would win handily. But um... right. When you can deploy but a
0: battleship versus a, a, a cloud that can move around, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to, uh, to yeah, take that one. A fleet of Both 60 PT boats. Literally and metaphorically. Yes.
1: Uh, a fleet of 60 PT boats can take out a battleship, I don't even say with,
0: with too much, without too much difficulty. You can't... So I'm not even talking about battleship versus boats. I'm talking battleship versus literal clouds. Okay. Right. A battleship's not going to win because the cloud could just disperse and move around.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I love the engineering of the battleships that IBM produces. I. I Admire many of the products they've made. I hate some of the products they made. Like I've ranted about WebSphere before. I hate that it takes over an hour today to install WebSphere. It took an hour to install WebSphere in the '90s. It has not gotten better. And I, I worked for a company. I did some consulting for a company who used WebSphere and some products built on WebSphere. Um, and the automation I wrote literally took an hour and a half to write, and an hour of that was waiting for WebSphere to finish. So some of my billable hours were just, well, uh, I've got the installer running, and there's not much for me to do, so I'm going to run the installer and see if I can work on some automation while I'm waiting for an hour and some change for it to finish. I find that atrocious. But it's hard to... But we're
0: not here to talk about WebSphere, Jeff. I know. We're here to talk about CentOS. I
1: know. <laughs> but you got me in a rambly mood, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. but I tell you what. How about, how about you ramble on your thoughts on CentOS streams? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Because I didn't touch on any of that yeah. in, in my soliloquy. So mm-hmm. what do you have to say on that front?
1: Um, I'm old school. I'm used to raw packages. I'm used to whatever is available from the upstream. That's the way it is. And put up with it. So I want to deploy PHP 7. But I'm running on Ubuntu 14. This is, imagine, two years ago. I'm running Ubuntu 14. They don't support PHP seven unless they go outside the normal packages. So I guess I'll put up with PHP five too. That's what they've got. That's kind of my approach. So I like CentOS streams because it means we'll be able to have modernized versions of software on an distribution that is committed to ten years. We're not going to have this. Well, you're using CentOS streams.
0: CentOS streams does not necessarily have a ten year EOL. Okay. Okay. You're right. You're right. right. Um, I think. I think things may be trending towards 5. Okay. Because, remember, this is going to be the development for RHEL. Mm-hmm. So when RHEL 9 comes out, well, CentOS Streams 9 would need to exist before, mm-hmm. or that's going to be signed at the same time. Well, I think
1: streams are going to be, like, uh, streams will be outside of 8 or 9 or 10. So you subscribe to a stream for Apache. And at that point, N-
0: yeah. So this, I'm I'm speaking specifically for Centa Streams, which is basically the in development version of the next version of Rel. Okay. Now, to be clear, this is not, uh, this is not Fedora Rawhide. Mm-hmm. This is not Fedora. This is the stuff that's going into RHEL that has already been. Let me put up some air quotes here. As has been described by Red Hat, this is what it's going to be. Right. That it will be the development branch that sits right before RHEL gets actually pushed and released. Mm-hmm. So if right now, I think I think we're at 8.3 for RHEL. That sounds right, a, yeah, sounds right. 8.3 or 8.4. Mm-hmm. So right now, if you were to go get CentOS Streams 8, uh, or CentOS 8 Streams, what you would have is... RHEL 8.3 plus the updates that are going to be in rel 8.4 because 8.4 hasn't been released yet right from a business model this actually makes a lot of sense for red hat for the people who are building and developing applications to run on rel because they're there able to build and test their applications on what's going to be coming right so there isn't that delay of well we have to wait for it to get released and then okay now we'll start to build this because before RHEL development was behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. yeah Now RHEL development is in the open. Well and everyone yes. can take advantage of it. Now, you can, you can look at
1: Fedora's and say this is what what, what RHEL will be going to in three years. Whatever whatever no, Fedora is no, n- released now, so
0: you'll know there is there okay. is some rebasing that happens, but what happens in Fedora is not necessarily going into RHEL. I understand. Fedora is, you know, yeah, it's, it's the Wild West. Crazy yes, things get yes, tried is, there. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying that Fedora isn't stable, because it is fedora rawhide can be a little rough sometimes Mm, yes yes but in order to get into rel and from what we're being told in order for something to get into centos streams it has to be pretty much stable Mm
1: -hmm.
0: any issues that come up are going to be because they're first integrating the thing into the newer version and there might be conflicts api issues stuff like that but that the goal is if you want to develop software for rel You will develop, if you use CentOS Streams 8, you will be able to follow the development of RHEL in step so that when RHEL 8.4 comes out, the very same day, you guys can push your 8.4 packages for RHEL. Yeah. That's a huge benefit for people who are building software. It is. For RHEL. It is. It is. Um, instead of having that lag because historically there's always been that lag so
1: i don't want to denigrate what what you can get from this yeah exactly there's a lot of upside to this it's not like this is all doom and gloom we have focused on well i have focused on the doom and gloom but there's a lot of benefits to this announcement there's a lot of positivity especially the stability of red hat is still present but you don't get it for free as much anymore you, if you want the stability of Red Hat and the commitment to ten years of extended life, you pay for it. If you don't want to pay for it, you get much less extended life. But you still get some of the the uh, sustainability of Red Hat in chunks, and you have to be willing to accept. It. You have to be willing to accept that uh, you can't stay on CentOS eight point three forever, because it's not going to be around forever. It's going to be obsoleted. And at some point, they'll expect you to move to four or five or six. You better just be willing to, to hop to the next version. And you're going to have to spend the developer or the DevOps time to figure out what's changed between three and four that may impact you and account for it. That's just the cost of doing business. Whereas before, you could pay nothing to Red Hat and have a stable product and decide, we're going we're gonna to settle on CentOS. We'll settle, settle on CentOS 8.3, and we can just coast for six years and never have to worry, are we out of date? Because CentOS is still around, Red Hat's still around. That mm-hmm. is gone, and that's, I lament that, but I also see the benefits of if you're willing to invest in the fact that streams are gonna be changing and that Red Hat numbers are gonna be advancing and you don't have any control over it, but you're willing to, to surf that, there's still all the other benefits of Red Hat and the ecosystem that go along with it for you to benefit from. You just have to be willing to invest mm-hmm. more than zero. Effort. So it's interesting. A lot of companies don't have the ability or the willingness to invest more than zero effort. Yeah. So it's interesting you you, it.
0: you took this in that that's direction because in outside of Red Hat, in the general Linux community, I've seen two 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 tacks being taken, and it, it's it's an interesting one to me. And I know I know we're running long, but I wanna I wanna go ahead and just keep rolling with this while we're going is sure. is this an entitlement problem because red hat has over its life which is, this point is 25 years they have probably mm-hmm. written and licensed under gpl thus given away for free probably over a trillion lines of code
1: i think that's not so yeah that, that's, when that's people are i mean i have magic. seen
0: people say red hat has no right to do this and it's like hold on a second you're asking them... No, actually, you're not oh, asking them. You're demanding resistance. that they put effort out for nothing. That's not fair at all. That's not fair and, at all. And Red Hat, no. because of the license, no. because they've chosen GPL3, they've decided on it a long time ago. They've stuck with it. I mean, they could write new software and license it under a different license if they wanted to. They don't because they believe in GPL3. Or I'm sure some stuff might be too mm-hmm. as well. But anyway, but the point is, you can get right. it. Yeah, yeah. Either from a downstream fork like CentOS or one of the ones that will that will you know appear again in the future, there's going to be avenues. And to to sit there behind your keyboard and demand that that Red Hat owes you 10 years of support for absolutely nothing, that's that's kind of ballsy, actually. Like I, I I don't support it whatsoever. I, I can't. I get that people are upset, but the fact is, there were a lot of people who were freeloading. And I understand why they freeloaded. I had a CentOS mm-hmm. installation. Well, technically, I still yep. do. I haven't done anything with it. It's sitting over there in the corner, off. I could turn it on at any point in time. But you know, yes, people freeloaded. <laughs> That's always been known. Red Hat knew that. Everybody knew that. When Red Hat bought CentOS, they knew that. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I believe that they understood that Red or CentOS was you know, it was a fertile ground to grow future rail users. But even even if they didn't look at it that way, and even if they did buy it because they wanted the trademark and they wanted to end it, that would have effectively not do anything because they know it's open source and somebody can spin up another one. So they're not stopping anything. So exactly. They, that
1: li- yeah, They're not. They know there's going to be a rocky Linux. Yeah. They, have, they have to know that the next... The next Sin to us is right around the corner the second they make any yeah. change to so, status quo, they I don't it. believe they into their decision. that
0: that really leads toward people to go, oh yeah, they bought it just to kill it. Because they're they're not really killing anything. They're just... It's another thing. Yeah. However... No, they're not. The fact is, is there are a lot of people who are really, really seem to be hung up on the we as the community are owed this. And where does that come from? Like, is that, is that really just yeah. as simple as entitlement uh, or is there something else at play there that I'm just not seeing?
1: Well, I don't, I'm not an objective responsor on this, honestly. It just seems to me, I've, I've long seen this. You see it in information wants to be free, the kind of casual declaration that's that the free for all for anything. Or I would buy this movie if it were cheaper. But since it's not cheaper and there's no cheap way to get it, I'm going to pirate it. And there's a lot of after the fact fact explanation of why I'm doing a thing that hurts somebody else, but helps me. And I'm not saying that everybody that uses CentOS is doing this, quite a lot that doesn't. But I think there's quite a lot of people that are, I'm gonna get whatever I can for free because I'm owed it because the world is hard. This is hard, Linux is hard. There's a lot of things that are very difficult. CentOS makes my life easier because of its stability this is how I make my livelihood or this is how I eke out my existence or whatever. And they need CentOS to be free and stable in 10 years because they are making the recommendation to a client mm-hmm. and it's their reputation when it doesn't pay up. They are depending upon CentOS to be free and to have that support, which is extremely costly to Red Hat to maintain that for 10 years. How many, how many development hours does it take to maintain the existing kernel that they've got in Red Hat 8.3 knowing that they're going to, have to backport patches for five or six or seven more years and make sure that all those patches are in 8.3 that is an enormous yeah. amount of developer time and effort and energy that is that is nowhere near free that is so costly because the kind of people that have the ability to do that they're not cheap and they live in places that aren't cheap we're talking millions upon millions of dollars to maintain these things. And I don't know that a freeloader is willing or able to admit that, or if they do, they don't care. What have you done for me lately? And I don't want to turn off listeners. I don't want to turn off uh, people that do Linux, but if honestly, this is your opinion, what have you done for me lately? I don't think you're the right users to use CentOS. Use a different distribution. Use something else. Maybe it doesn't, have the, it doesn't have 10 years of commitment. Uh, Ubuntu's mm-hmm. long-term support has five. Five is a long time we talked about. Five years is an eon in our business. So I think someone can very happily stay on Ubuntu and ride their five years of support as long as they're able. And honestly, there are people that are will, willing to support. There are still organizations that are supporting Xenial casually. They're not you know, doing... Kernel patch is but there are people that are that are limping along. yes yeah. you know, um, uh, Trusty, excuse me, Trusty is still limping along, and it's approaching two years into life. So there are still people that are willing to push this. I'm on. pretty sure if
0: you thought and hard enough, you and I could probably don't. both think of companies that are probably using 1010 and 1210 still. You know, mm-hmm.
1: and some key places, or 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 that just never they don't recognize this is important, mm-hmm. or embedded devices. There's a lot of embedded devices around there running around in very old distributions that are yeah. untouched. You know, you have had your WRT54G device for six years. Think about the Linux that's running on there. It's probably end of life, but um, yeah. it still works now. That device, still, the, the, the embedded appliance still works. Embedded appliances last for as long mm-hmm. as the hardware world will continue for. And so many embedded devices now are built yeah. on Linux we're going to have we we have very 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 old distributions still running around in places yeah. you wouldn't even think. And I mean it I've seen
0: a ton of people basically saying that Red Hat's only choice is to effectively adopt the Ubuntu model, which is you give it away to everybody for 5 years for free and if they want support then they'll give you money. And it's no. like okay, let's let's just let's just look at that no. at, at face value because I don't want to spend too much time on it. Between Canonical and and Red Hat. Right. Um which which, which company makes several billion dollars a year in profit and was purchased for like thirty some billion. Um maybe right. Mm, not maybe the business to, plan canonical. that they have has worked. And that remember, that's been with CentOS being mm. free. So I'm pretty sure they can right, survive. Yeah, right,
1: right. Now that that's a premium yeah that's a premium on the, the purchase because you know it's just the whole how much is a company worth based upon mm-hmm. the revenues and the expected future revenues and and they paid, IBM paid a massive premium over and above the yearly revenues of IBM. So like, I don't know, five years of yearly revenues would not be enough to cover the cost that IBM paid for Red Hat.
0: They were yeah, buying and more it's also a long-term goal. If we buy this and they're making, exactly, yeah. you know, this amount this year, but that continues to grow, then we're going to win. It's just going to take a while to win. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. We invest, uh, we invest properly. And there's also a lot of acquisitions that happen because I see the value of this thing. If we can pair our resources with your knowledge, Mm -hmm. think of how much money can be made. There's a lot of those acquisitions that go on and that factored in somewhat to IBM's decision to buy Red Hat,
0: I think. Yeah. And I'm still giddy at the possibility of Linux, Red Hat Linux on IBM open power. Like we can have an open stack from the bottom all the way up to the top, like this is this is what I want, That's and this is beautiful. what I'm giddy for. It's just still taking too long
1: now we I honestly, I could gush for a long time about uh, what Red hat does, and uh, they are well within their rights to do exactly as they've done. I think some of some of their messaging in the last three days have been very tone deaf, but um. Like it's their bag; they can do whatever they want.
0: Yeah, this this does lead though, yeah. um, and this is this will be a follow up episode uh, into a conversation that I've had with some close friends for many many years. Um, that I figured, why not just put it out there now? And that is, yeah, what happens if Red Hat goes rogue? Oh gosh, I don't want to think about that. So yeah, so we will we'll, uh, we will follow up with that we will follow up with that in in another episode but thank you for listening i know this has been an extra long episode but we do appreciate you listening in and we would really like to hear your feedback your thoughts on what we said um email how to contact us is in the notes let us know reach out to us so thanks guys and remember be excellent to each other